Before we jump into this episode, let's hear from our friend Nolan and every podcast I love is dead. Do you love music? Music news and guest interviews with artists from all around the world across many different genres? My name's Nolan and I love music. In fact, I love music so much I created a podcast entirely dedicated to it called Every Podcast I Love is Dead. Every week is a brand new episode where I interview musicians, artists, podcasters, radio hosts, and so much more. New episodes are available every Thursday on all your favorite podcast streaming platforms, and you can check us out on social media and at everypodcastiloveisdead.com. Hope you can join me. I am Matthew Thomas. This is Super Cool Radio. My guest is, at this time is the guitarist and lead vocalist of Red Brick Road. Very recently, they released a killer new single entitled I Am The Fear. Making his third appearance, please welcome Jake Jones. I was doing a peace sign, but now I'm, I'm going to do a three for third appearance. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me, Jake Jones from Detroit, Michigan. As I said, third time here, second time digitally, and uh, we had one in person at a venue. Unfortunately, it's closed down, but it was cool to actually do an interview there. Yeah, I play, that place was cool. I liked Smith's a lot, you know. It's a lot of stairs. Fun. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. I was going to say that was the only negative to the place was a lot of stairs and I don't know. I don't know how many people out there have. I'm sure any mu- other musicians listening have carried an amplifier up at least some amount of stairs, but that Not place is like three stories up. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was two flights of stairs, and like the first one was like a huge. I mean, it was a cool venue. I I really liked the whole uh, the the scene there, but uh, unfortunately, due to some issues, it had to close. But I mean, it was cool to actually say I, I did an interview with Smith, though. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, it was cool. We did that. And like that place was cool. They had a cool scene there. I met a lot of people that night, some of which I still keep in contact with and stuff. You know, it seemed like they're definitely a place around town that was, you know, they helped uh, really perpetuate the local scene. So I don't know what happened with them, but it sucks that they had to close. But I'm sure it's all goes into technical stuff. I heard some rumors, but I'm I'm not going to speak on it because I don't know what actually happened. But yeah, them damn, them damn stairs, man. <laughs> I remember, I remember getting my amp up the first set of stairs, and I was like, "Oh, I finally made it!" And I turned the corner, and there's just another one. I, I feel like that place is the best metaphor for being a musician, too. You climb all these stairs, and you're like, "Okay, I'm there. It's time for the show." And then you got, you know, another 25 stairs to go. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely unique in the, in that atmosphere, but it it was cool and honestly, I, I liked the stage for it. It was it was a they had a nice setup. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they did. They did. They it was cool. They had the two stages, the one downstairs I could see being better for like the karaoke and uh, 
yep. acoustic, which it was mostly for. But yeah, no, they they had a really nice setup there. Definitely for sure. But uh, let's dive into this interview. As I said, much impact. Recorded uh, obviously the new single "I Am the Fear." Plus, we got some cool stuff in there. Plus. I'm going to dive in because someone makes a cameo in that music video, but we're going to get to that in a second. So, as I said, new new single, I Am The Fear. How was it writing and recording I Am The Fear? Um, Yeah, uh, writing it was quite a process, actually. That was one that was kind of, uh, how do I put it? Um, like, sometimes, like, with songs, it's, like, sit down, write it, get it done. That one was kind of more of, like, more of like a a jam that kind of progressed into a song at least mu musically at, uh, at least to speak it wasn't like exactly like okay this is well it was it was like okay this is going to be a song because this is like really cool guitar riffs and stuff but it wasn't like uh, for i don't know why it just wasn't like hey day one let's uh let's like you know try to get this polished and make it a song it was kind of something that just got played a lot until like um until it did become a song and it's one of the only ones too that like i didn't sit down and like write lyrics for i kind of just kept singing different stuff at practice until i found lyrics i liked for it and they all were cohesive and made sense and then i sat down and edited them edited them even more to make them even more cohesive and make sense so that part of it was kind of cool. It's not really how I prefer to write, but it, it worked out all right. Just just because I like continuity and cohesiveness. So that's why I say I don't really prefer to write that way, at least lyrically, because I don't. I think it worked out, though, because the song, you know, is about struggling with different anxiety and depression issues and stuff. So I think having so many different times of life kind of put into those lyrics kind of helped out that factor of it. But yeah, we were we were working on that song for like probably a good year before anything really was made of it. We played it a lot live and anyone who'd ever seen it live before has probably I don't I don't think anyone memorized the lyrics, but if they had videos or did, it definitely really changed. It definitely had a lot of um uh not transient, but it changed a lot over time. The, then um, you asked about the recording too. The recording was cool. We worked over at the sound shop on it again, and uh, I had Darren and Phil both both played on um, played on that song, which I think made it a lot uh, a lot more solid in the rhythm section than our previous stuff because those those two really really connect. And I'm working with those guys more now in the future, and I'm really excited about it because they just they're just uh they're probably the most badass rhythm section i've ever played with so yeah so yeah. definitely just that whole the, the whole shop uh obviously with you know kevin the uh the producer and uh, yeah. uh mixer and all of that like he he's incredible too yeah, um, oh yeah he is. definitely the way he does everything but yeah uh darren and phil are just is like live and in studio they nail it every time they're just incredible musicians mm-hmm no they they absolutely are and they're dependable and you can count on them you know not just in the fact that you know they'll show up but they're dependable musicians as when they say they're going to learn the songs they do <laughs> you know i've worked with a lot of people who are like yeah i've been working on learning all these songs and i'm like okay great and then then they're you know then they didn't or they they don't they don't act they might believe themselves that they actually know it but they don't as much as 
as they think they do. But yeah, those guys are great. And like you said too, Kevin, Kevin, I can't thank enough for how much he's worked with me and not just for working with me and the producer and mixing and all that, how much he's worked with me as a, like a person and a musician and uh, kind of like a mentor in a way, kind of like telling me like about, you know, like the industry sucks. Don't let it discourage you. Like life, life advice stuff too, you know, like on the industry, because it is, it could be rough at times and stuff, but he's helped change a lot of my mentality on things. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely helped me become a better musician. I, I said this in an interview about him before, like when you suck, he tells you, you suck. And that's the best part because, you don't get better when everyone's just kissing your ass, you know? No, definitely. Like, uh, he, he would definitely point out, because I've talked to other people he's worked with. He's worked with many people, not not only in the Detroit scene, but uh, uh, other places as well. And yeah, he, he definitely points out, like, if there's something that's not right, he will definitely say that. And he wants the best uh, product, the best music possible out of everyone he works with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the best part in aside from the studio and the equipment and stuff there and even his skills with mixing and stuff really in my mind what you're paying for when you work with him is his, his criticism is and his critiques because he will he will go above and beyond to make sure you give the best performance you can give you know that's what i've always liked because i've worked a lot at a lot of other studios with a lot of other people in the past and yeah like in the end i could it you know, it was my fault too. I could have been more self-critical, but there was a lot of stuff that came out that I didn't like as much, but I had wished people would have said something. So when I started working with him, like I said, really, I think you're paying for his expertise and his critique and stuff, because it's like, like there's been so many times where I sang something wrong and he's like, you know, what the hell was that? Like, do it again. No, that still sucked. Do it again. You know, are you practicing? You practiced before you came in here, right? And I'm like, geez, it's only third take. I'll get it, man. You know, but that's good. It's good. It's what makes it, you know, makes it better, especially when you're someone who sings vocally like I do. And I'm always trying new things. And like, and I am the fear. I think that's like the first song we put out where on the chorus, I sing in that super high octave that, that's not easy stuff to do and that's not easy stuff to make sound good and if you don't got someone on your side who's gonna say hey you were flat through this whole part then damn you're gonna be really embarrassed when that song comes out you know i really like the kind of progression that i am the fear has like i like you know because obviously we talked about uh work of heart which was obviously an album that was released uh beginning of this year i want to say yep march yeah uh, we, we talked about that, but I think definitely I'm the fear that there's a progression on that sound that was work of heart. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Because like, I know with uh, that album, like you like the after party, which I really enjoy off that album because it, it's, it's a little bit different. It's that it's uh, kind of more of like a, a, a more mellow rock, I would say, uh, for the after party. But like it kind of it kind of has a kind of little bit of familiar sound to it with like I am the fear. Mm hmm yeah yeah thank you i appreciate that and yeah i i'd, I'd say so there's definitely um de there's definitely something to be said about like the types of chords and stuff we use because it's it's not so much like three chord things and there's a lot of diminished and augmented and stuff and it uh it gives things a darker sound at times and other times you know like after party and that song both, both do that a lot use a lot of diminished and uh um 
like aeolian fourths and stuff like that to just kind of give that dark creepy vibe so it definitely, I think uh, I Am The Fear definitely has kind of that more darker uh, side to it. Uh, I mean, I, I very much enjoyed the the whole song and the message behind it too, but like it does, it does have, it does have, there we go, it does have the dark vibes to it. Jeez, <laughs> it's hard to yeah. talk. Uh, but yeah, definitely a little bit on that dark side, um, but I think it's still uh, a very good message in I Am The Fear as well. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's pretty cool the way, the way it worked out because, um, well, I'll I'm, I'll save this for when you start asking about the video stuff. How about that? Okay. Well, that, honestly, that was where I was going next, because along with the single, you guys released an awesome-looking music video for "I Am the Fear." So, how was it filming the music video, and what was kind of the idea behind the music video? Perfect. This was this was a perfect segue because now I can just go right back to what I was saying. So it, it, it kind of worked out perfect, like what you were saying with the song having like the creepier sound to it and the creepier vibe like that, because um, the music was already kind of creepy. But like the, the whole like chorus of it about, you know, I'm the rage, I'm the fear is like me kind of me like uh, it's like an internal monologue after when you've been someone who's like spent a lot of time like being scared of yourself and like being scared of like what you could do to yourself if you got in a bad enough state of mind you know that sort of thing and it's kind of like being like saying like I can't be afraid of you because I am you like you're me like why am I afraid of this like little voice in the back of my head that's like you know telling me you're worthless you're not good enough like why am I afraid of that little voice because I am the fear that comes from inside me it's basically what I'm trying to say you know it's like there's no reason to be scared of you like i i can get in control of this you know like it, it's not like you know like you're a person who i physically have to fight this comes from inside me i am the fear i need to get a hold of it so basically um with like the creepy like the 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 uh like the creepy sound of it and saying the words i am the fear and saying you know you're really alive this isn't a nightmare it all kind of like worked out perfect to use like kind of like a horror based story as like a metaphor it in the video and that part of it was just like great because it was so so easy i mean i i worked on writing that video for close to a year before we actually shot it and there was like there was other drafts of it and stuff like that but it was like perfect to like make it like um make it like a nightmare but also to be like a metaphor about like the struggle internal battle of like ego and stuff like that so yeah so that um it just worked out perfect with the the sound of the music and stuff especially in the beginning we added that reverse piano and like those synths and it just like immediately like draws you into like this i've always said that like i think the song would have done well in like the movie donnie darko like not like the whole song but just that like beginning part with like that creepy piano and then it goes into the doom 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 like I, you know, a movie like Donnie Darko, really eerie. It definitely has the eeriness to it. And what I, some of the scenes I really liked in the music video was like obviously there's you like looking in the mirror, but like you look down and there's someone behind you, but you look up, they're gone, or like the person sitting on the couch with the mask, like that, that, that kind of stuff. Like the representation, like the kind of personification of like what is being said, you can see it visually throughout the whole music video. 
Right. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad that came off the right way. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, well, that once I saw, once I, once I seen the video finished and I, I knew my friend was going to do a good job on it, but even though I knew he was going to do well on it, I still kind of had, had it in the back of my mind the whole time. My biggest concern was a, if it was going to turn out cheesy and if B the message wasn't going to be clear enough and people are going to be like, this is supposed to be a music video. Why is it like a Halloween story? You know? And then it's like, oh, we failed because we didn't make the message clear enough that like, yeah, it's cool and gimmicky that we made it like a Halloween nightmare story. But at the same time, there's there it's a whole level deeper is what it's really about, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get you do with like, you know, with people you put stuff out and you you know what the message is, but sometimes it gets lost with people like actually watching it or gets lost in the translation of it. And that, that's kind of a balance. You have to get the point across, but also kind of have to you know go along with the story that it still makes sense and uh, yeah. it, there is a balance with that mm -hmm. yeah definitely balance balance is everything in any sort of creative media you know and i mean more more so or less you know i'm fortunate being you know still small potatoes indie route to where i don't have to sacrifice as much to be commercial and that balance i guess the um the the scales get tilted weighted whatever the, the more commercial you get and the bigger you get, you know what I mean? The, the more followers and fans you have, and not so much nowadays, not so much nowadays, but definitely several years ago, there was definitely a huge dip in that scale of like between commercialism and um, commercialism and actually getting your message out there. You know, I personally think that like, even like a lot of Cobain stuff, you know, he was in charge of a lot of their music videos and stuff like that. I, you know, I wish I, I, you know, I would one day have the chance to talk to Cobain, but that wouldn't happen. But I'd be willing to put money on it that if you could actually ask him alone, and he's kind of uh, dabbled around with this question, I think a lot of his stuff would have been a lot better, or at least a lot more meaning and message in it, if it wasn't so commercialized by, by the studios and the labels and stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, their their music videos. I mean, it was cool to at least got a little bit of uh, control about the music videos because they are a little bit out there with like their their stuff. It was different. It yeah. was very different for that time period of like it wasn't as shiny or clean looking as the kind of the music scene was. The music industry was like coming out of like hair metal, you know, in the yeah. late '80s, where mm -hmm. everything looked super polished, super clean. You had to have the eyeliner and hairspray and everything so going into that it was very different for those early yeah. you know, the early 90s yeah ab absolutely and that, i think that's kind of my favorite part of um the early 90s is that it was definitely well the early 90s is one of my favorite eras as well as like some of the late 60s early 70s but i've always liked the eras where it's like i call them like the fu eras like where where it's like big turning points, like the 90s, like for example, like how you said, coming out of the super clean, polished hair metal into like the underground grunge doing like, making like punk big again. And like, you know, they, it's a different form of punk, but you know, the same things bands were doing earlier on MC5 and, you know, Iggy and the Stooges and stuff, same thing. But I, I really like whenever those those happen where the underground rises, That that's my favorite eras of music. Oh, definitely. Like I'm, I'm a huge punk fan, and like just that, uh, just that mentality can you can uh, apply that to different styles of music. Like grunge had that punk uh, underground kind of feel to it, with it as 
we don't really care what you think. We're going to do it anyway kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see that like nowadays, like, com- like it's kind of, you know, commercialism is still there. It still makes money, but I don't see as many people being attracted to it. They kind of, I think people are kind of liking like the underground kind of different, not everything's the same kind of style of music that we're kind of seeing in the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I've really um, been noticing the trend too of, uh, you have what what I call like pedestal persons, right? Like uh, these really big stars. I, I've already been talking about Cobain, so we'll use him again. So like in the early 90s, like you had like these pedestal people, like you had like Cobain and Nirvana, you had Cornell, Soundgarden, Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam, and they all were like really propped up on these huge pedestals. They got all the MTV airtime. They got all, all of the magazine, placements all that stuff and um there there wasn't much left for anyone who wasn't up here you know what i mean all so down here you have all all these people you have thousands of them and then up here you only have a select few and there wasn't a lot of scraps for the people all the way at the bottom of the pedestal to pick up well what i'm noticing now with like tiktok and stuff like that and i think it's pretty cool in a, in a lot of ways and i think it has some downfalls too but you're not getting your this pedestal starting to flip to where especially with tiktok and stuff i'm starting to notice these small circles like forming you know what i mean so where there's like almost like how local scenes should be to where people are following a lot more smaller artists now rather than following a few big ones they're following tons of small ones and i think that's great in a lot of ways it, ha- it has some caveats to it that's for sure but i, I definitely think like social media has really helped because like mm-hmm. you know instead of like actually going out and meeting people i mean you, you still do that for the shows which is great you can still build an audience but i think it's cool like like a lot of like uh underground and indie bands you know, they can't afford to, you know, go to Europe or go to, you know, Australia or other places like that, but they still have fans in there. And I know some bands are, like, bigger in, like, Australia than they are, like, here, and they're from here. You know, like, it's so cool how with, like, the internet and everything that you're able to connect with fans who are in a completely different country than you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Um, I, I get a lot of messages and comments from um, Ireland and... Uh, Brazil, Brazil, somewhere in South America is two of two of our biggest markets. Ireland's our biggest, like by all of our by all of our data. Ireland's our biggest market. But yeah, it's it's definitely really cool. And it's cool when when we've done the live streams before and stuff to hear from people who are like, that's so cool. You did that. And like, you need to come here one day. And I'm like, like, you know, like get a hundred of your friends and I'll get together and buy tickets. And then, you know, and then I'll, I don't know, I'll find a venue. I'll make it happen. But yeah, we can't just like go out on a limb and be like, okay, we got some people in Brazil or Ireland, whatever. But there was a way to like Kickstarter it or something like that, you know? It would definitely be cool. Honestly, like it's not even like the uh, playing at the venue or like, you know, once you're in Ireland or like another country, it's like that stuff's not as expensive. It's like just uh, flying there. That's like the, like that's the most expensive and the hardest part. Like once you're there, you're there, but it's just getting there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And if you can, if you can work with the right right people and pre-sale the tickets in order to make the deal, you know, uh, if you could work with like like the right sort of person who's gonna 
before the show's even, like, the fans think it's confirmed, but before it's technically even confirmed with the venue and stuff, be able to sell enough tickets to cover the expenses, then, you know, then it, then it works out great. There was, um, the White Stripes originally were much bigger in, um, New Zealand before America. They were, they were on the radio over there. They were a pretty big band there and they were going there to tour and then they were coming back to Detroit and Jack White was still, you know, working in an upholstery shop and doing odd jobs and stuff. They weren't, they weren't rock stars by any stretch of the truth at all. You know, they're normal people, but yeah, they, they got out there because this one promoter really believed in them and maxed out his credit card. I'm putting on this tour for them in New Zealand and it's cool to hear Jack White talk about it because they came home broke, but he's like, I got a free trip to New Zealand though, you know? <laughs> There's always something out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting what where bands kind of get their uh, uh, following from. Like, uh, you know, you were talking about like uh, Detroit Legends, Iggy Pop and uh, the MC5, but also another Detroit legend, Alice Cooper. Yeah. Got, uh, he got, his band got huge in uh, UK, like bigger then america so like it was actually them kind of uh going to europe was helping them fund their u.s states because they were getting they would make money in the uk then they would come back to the u.s but it's really the uk really grasped onto them first right that's awesome i never knew that but i could i could totally believe it and see it and yeah that that's happened that's happened with a lot a lot of artists you know and i mean vice versa too there's artists that are from the uk and get big in america first and then you know, stuff like that. I mean, we're the entertainment capital of the world, so it definitely is a lot more of the U.S. perpetuating artists than other countries, but you do have, like, the outliers, like you said, like Alice Cooper in the U.K. and stuff, you know, but that's just because we just so happen to be the entertainment capital of the world. I mean, we have freaking Hollywood, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, between like Hollywood, Vegas, and New York, I mean, mm-hmm. all those put together. Like, I mean, America is a destination, but it's kind of cool to see those outliers of, you know, bands who got over to a different country first before America. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's this awesome documentary um, on uh, Netflix. It was on Netflix called uh, Searching for Sugar Man. And it's about, I'm pretty sure he's from Detroit. I'm. I'm like 99% sure, but his, his artist name's Rodriguez, and he, he's a great singer, great songwriter, phenomenal songwriter. I, I love, his, his songs are like poems, you know, they're just beautifully worded, great, great literary content in them and stuff, but this documentary is about, he was a huge star in Africa, huge star, but the record label didn't want to pay him, so since this was like the late 60s, early 70s, and there's no internet or anything like that basically if no one called him he didn't know so like in the documentary they talked to a lot of people and stuff and people are like yeah he's like in our country rodriguez is like synonymous with the beatles like you know like if you like like people know him just as much like there's not like people that it's a household name like the beatles so basically in this documentary they're trying to find the guy and like tell him like hey you're you're a huge star in africa and he gets to go there and play a huge show and stuff it's really it's really touching and heartwarming but then like the sad part about it is is when they get into like the whole money side that like basically the label he was on since he was failing so bad in america and had like no success in america other than like a radio play here or there they basically were like oh we got to recoup our money let's just not tell him he's making all this money from africa even though he had like number one hits over there and gold records you know yeah 
I think someone who's telling me about that, like, it was a few months ago. They, um, I vaguely remember some something like that. So I'm gonna check that out on Netflix. But it, it, I mean, that's kind of unfortunate. The, the music industry with labels doing that and stuff. I mean, but I mean, it's cool. Someone eventually told him, "Dude, you were huge in Africa, and he, you got to play a show there." But there is also the dark side of it, uh, you know, for yeah. the record label. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, just you know, back into what you were saying about people making it elsewhere i mean that right there i i just brought up that example because it's the most extreme one i've heard you know what i mean i never thought that'd be possible to be a superstar in a different country and not find out about it for 40 50 years later you know it, it, it it's it's so weird again like with where people get their uh, audience from where they where where people grasp on a certain uh, artists and stuff it, it's always very interesting but it's also very cool to hear different stories like that as well mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely you know <clears throat> music is a uh, it's it's like um uh, i'll use this one i didn't want to use this because everyone's so uh <laughs> so germaphobic nowadays but i was gonna say it, music's really like a virus there's not you know one way of getting it there's not any certain way that works there's bands that have gotten super popular in the underground without any radio support you know there's bands that have gotten super popular without any label support you know it's it's not it's not a cut and dry business you know where it's like like with other businesses where it's like get investors and do this and do that and exponential growth and you know scaling up and everything like no it's it's great it's really it's like an infection you know definitely for sure um but uh also getting back to i am the fear so there there's a familiar familiar voice that people uh should be familiar with uh at the beginning of the music video uh, people, if you've seen it, you should know it is me because I literally say my name. But uh, so, how did uh, that idea come up, and uh, what kind of made you think of that for the video? I, uh, so, yeah, so um, originally, like with uh, doing it, I needed a way to show because I wanted the video to take place on Halloween, and then the other thing is the symbolism of the numbers on the alarm clock and stuff. So. In the beginning of the, in the video, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, is like it takes place in like a dream state, like a nightmare state. Now, whether you want to believe it's delusion or actually a nightmare or hallucination, whatever, that that's up to you and your own interpretation. But it it's like a dreamlike state. So the symbolism in the numbers is big to me because, for one, when you're dreaming and if you read anything about lucid dreaming or anything like that, one of the big telltale signs that you're in a dream, you're conscious in a dream is you can't read time. Clocks are always all messed up. So that was a big part to me. And then like with the clock changing from 857 to 666 and stuff, which 666 isn't in there because of uh, Satanism or anything. It, it, it's in there because that number got referred to with Satanism because it's actually people say number of the beast yes i guess but it, and and um at base level it, it really just means fear so i was like wow i wanted to use a different number because i feel like that number is really overused you know like a lot in rock and metal too you know but then when i was doing like research on numbers and angel numbers and uh symbolism of numbers 
it was just too perfect. I'm like, how can I, when the song's called I Am The Fear and it's about fear, how can I not use the one number that's most known for meaning fear, you know? But anyway, so yeah, back to the whole radio thing. The thing I couldn't figure out was how we were going to tell people it was Halloween. So I had like the idea of like a calendar with like the date circled and all that. But then I just really like, I really liked the idea of having like the radio alarm clock because we already knew there was going to be an alarm clock in it because we liked the whole trope of it and using that because number one, we had to figure out how we were going to get the numbers into this, you know? So we really liked the idea of alarm clock because of like the trope and stuff like that. And then I personally wake up a lot of mornings to um, a radio alarm clock where it turns on the radio. And so, yeah, I just really liked the idea of it. And I really liked the idea of having having it sound like the song was being played on the radio by the radio DJ and stuff like that. So, yeah, we basically, me and my team talked about it and everyone thought it was a <laughs> super cool idea. I'm laughing because as I was about to say super cool idea, I didn't realize that the next thing I was segueing into was then I started, you know, limiting down who I knew could do it and I was like, yeah, my buddy at Super Cool Radio, I was like, he's got a great voice for it. And I'm sure he'd be more than willing to do it, you know. And yeah, and then that's how we got it done. Yeah, I do. I really appreciate the the opportunity. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun because I, I sent you six or seven different ones. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm going to try a different filter on this or I'll say it like this or change my name or add different effects or whatever. So I, I just I was just messing around just seeing like what would sound good. So I was like, I can't really pick one. So here's a bunch <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it it was really cool. I was glad you had fun with it. And I I could tell with listening to all the recordings, I was like, all right, this is, this is great because he had fun with it. And he, he, you know, you, you could, when people have fun with things and they're passionate about it, like you were, they, they always turn out better, you know, that's the, that's the thing too, is like people with less talent can succeed more when they're passionate you know you could have a super talented person with no passion they're always going to do worse than the less talented person with more you know not saying neither of us are talented but i'm just you know saying that passion passion counts a lot more than talent so yeah when i was listening to all the recordings you sent me i was like all right i was like this is this is great because i liked all of them so then you know that's like that's the best part is when it's like okay let's limit this down because because when you have seven or eight that you sent me, seven or eight things that are good and will work, then it's like, okay, cool. Because if everything scores a 99%, then one of these is an A double plus, you know. Now we just got to figure out which one and why exactly. You know, definitely it was a cool experience for me. And uh, I, I know, like, uh, let's see, you emailed me, like, the week or messaged me or whatever. Uh, I was, like, in Cleveland that weekend. So I was like, well, I, I'm so interested, but just give me a few days when I get back and I can record this. And I didn't exactly know, like, what to go for. So that's why I just sent you a bunch of different ones. Like, I know I, I put a demon filter on one of them just to make it spooky. So I was like, I don't really know what the objective here, so I'm just going to make them all sound right, yeah. completely different so that they would fit, like, something. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, and it was cool that you gave us all those options and that we had, um, it, it inspired us too. We ended up like, like how you said, you put like the filter on the one to make the voice more demonic. And it was originally discussed if we wanted to use that one in the beginning of the video and then have the normal voice one in the end. 
so that it was like in the dream state it sounded more demonic but then, then we figured it'd just be best if we use the same one beginning and end this way because again like spoiler alert then it makes it not entirely a closed loop we we lead this whole video you know i wake up in bed at the end with the same radio broadcast playing and stuff but this time the clock's normal it says 8 59 so you're led to believe that i woke up and that that it was all a dream but at the same time there's purposely and intentionally a lot of plot plot fails to make it be like but wait a minute and if you go back to the video and you really pay attention to it there's a lot of things that if it was supposed to be intentionally fully leading you to be a dream there's a lot of plot fails in it being like wait this wouldn't happen why would that happen oh they screwed up but it's not screw ups in the storyline it's in things intentionally uh loose ends that weren't tied up intentionally to make people you know you might not get it the first second third time but upon like you know you, a few times watching it you start to notice it'd be like wait a second but this happened so you know was it a dream and you know things like that so it's kind of cool that, as you said, the kind of open loop where it's really up to the person watching it that, like, mm -hmm. they can determine stuff. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie American Psycho. I really, I honestly, one of my favorite movies. I really enjoy that movie just because it's so up to the person of what is real, what isn't, or is any of this real, or is this all real? And I think that's really cool to leave uh, that up to the listener and the viewer because then they can make their own determination. And honestly, if you pulled 10 people, you'd get like almost 10 different answers of what is actually going on right yeah and that's my that's my favorite way to do things and that's because too is i don't you i i really like to do things like that because i don't just create for myself i'm definitely not vain in this and it's not to me it's not so much about being like a rock star or some sort of you know rock god or creative whatever you call the video end of things some sort of creative type whatever a lot of it to me is like helping other people and like kind of like gifting them the music to like be like oh okay you know i'm not alone in these feelings and stuff so i also like to leave things really open to interpretation so people could put more behind it than i originally met you know i've had people tell me before like yeah i got this and that and that out of this song and i'm like that's amazing and uh, but then at the same time i'm like thinking like I, I never intended for that like it's amazing you got that out of the song but that's what i like about leaving things open like that too is it allows people to uh, put their put their own um, their own like um, their own impression on it and take out of it what they want to get out of it? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about to me is take out of it what you want out of it, not what I want you to get out of it. I think that's a really good mindset, especially for uh, for especially for music, especially to have people put their own spin on it. But like, yeah, I I uh, this is my understanding of it, and I know like. Some bands like they won't tell like their meaning behind the songs because they want people to make their own opinions instead of being influenced by people. And I think it's really cool just to because like again you listen to music, you listen to different types of music, and it's going to mean different types of things to everybody. Uh, it's very it's very subjective with everything, and I think that's kind of a cool nature of music is how just how subjective it is that people can take different things from it and apply it to their own life. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's de that's definitely one of the one of my favorite things about any sort of art and creation is the subjectiveness that is subjective is the word i was looking for a minute ago you know and like you said yeah i like to talk sometimes on i did that interview with um 
with Nerds Order Music with Zach about the last album. And he asked me a lot of questions about what things meant and stuff. And I told him, I don't mind telling people when they ask and I don't mind people watching that interview and finding out my emotions and stuff on it. But the whole thing that can't be understated enough is like, this isn't all that it means just because that's what I was talking about. If it means something else to you, then let it be. You know, I, I have, um, it's funny, uh, Slick Rick has been uh, promoted somehow. And I even have friends that have told me it as like a workout song, I think just because it's upbeat and it's like heavy and it's got like rap style, very quick vocals and stuff. But I have a friend who told me, he's like, yeah, every day at the gym, I listen to Slip, Slick Rick. That song gets me, gets me amped and on Spotify for artists, uh, it's gotten... Uh, it got a couple thousand of the streams it has. I think it's like close to 10,000. A couple thousand of them came to like heavy workout rock. So it's just, it's funny to me because that song is about, it, it deals, it's, it deals with a lot of societal issues, but just to see yes. that like to a lot of people, it's just a workout song. I think that's freaking great. You know, like, Hey, it doesn't always need to be deep and stuff. If the beat amps you up to do your curls, screw it. That's awesome. That's what you get out of it. You know? Yeah, that, that song really does rock. I, I guess uh, maybe it's the, uh, also the societal issues with it really get people amped up and ready to go. Uh, but no, definitely. I mean, that's a great song. I really do like it. And uh, yeah, I've, I've watched the interview with Zach and Nerds Order. Really great guy. And uh, just a quick thing, I got to give a big thank you to uh, doing the intro music for his first listen media uh, for our broadcast yeah, we did, which uh, it was cool. Uh, he's a great guy to work with. I really like working with him. And uh, he, he cares a lot about uh, everything he does. And you can really tell with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, de definitely. He definitely does. And so, so do you. That's why, that's why I like to like, you know, bring, bring, I like, I brought you in on the, I am the fear project and I hope one day to bring Zach in on something when I have something open for him, you know, to, to bring him into something because both you guys do, you put a lot of time into what you do and you guys are very, um, I'm sure there's an element of selfishness to it, but from what we see in the band's point of views is you guys are very selfless about it you guys are about the bands and about what I like too is you guys are more about the music than the bands that's cool you know because especially like we don't have a lot of stories and rock star moments and stuff yet so like it's cool to be able to talk about the music and the pro the projects and people care about that rather than being like you know wanting to hear like the stories like about the groupies and the backstage hot tub and stuff you know because there, there's that out there and there's people out there that for some reason think even when you're indie like you're doing that don't get me wrong we got our crazy stories but i'd just rather talk about the projects than you know yeah i think there well there's a lot of podcasts out there that do stuff like that i think that's cool it's got you know an audience for that but also i do think like this is the music of it and i kind of focus more on like the people who like the music like obviously this is supposed to be entertaining it's a podcast it has to be entertaining but I think, you know, not a lot of people get asked these music questions. Like, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's like, wow, you've, you asked me questions about my music. I'm surprised. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, was, I mean, that's why I, that's why I want to talk to you is because of the music. Right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's really cool. And um, it, it's cool, like, working with him, as I said, is awesome. Uh, just because he has that same kind of level of passion. And I, we work very well together because of that. 
And, you know, obviously there's a little bit of self selfishness with it because I, I obviously I love doing this, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. And, you know, part of it is for me. But honestly, it's mostly to promote great music that I think should be listened to that should have a platform because, unfortunately, right now there's a lot of, I think, some gatekeeping with um, keeping, keeping some indie bands out just because of, like, oh, their numbers aren't high enough or, like, you know, they don't have a big enough audience. And I, like, I'm like, so what? It's good music. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a ton of gatekeeping with it, and there's um, it's a really dirty business, and there's a really nasty side to um, to the industry. Uh, when we put we're, the label, we put work of heart out with. They've been pretty good to us, and I won't talk about them for that reason. But I will say, with I'm you know trying to get ready to do the next project, it's probably going to be an EP instead of a full length. Um, trying to find label support for that what you find a lot of times is like you said the numbers and it's not that these labels don't tell me tell me and the guys whatever that we're talented or that we have good music they want to see the business end of things right and a lot of it is like uh kind of the way our last deal went was okay we'll put x amount of money into it if you put x amount of money into it and do you have these financial assets prepared you know i had um we had over the summer we had a meeting with um a very high i don't know how much people want to be talked about so i won't use names or what bands but a very high profile manager who you definitely know of i'll put it this way the band one of the bands he's worked with recently has several number one hits and stuff and they're one of the biggest bands out there right now we were fortunate enough to get a meeting with him and basically what he told us was well one of his first questions you know we got the meeting with him because he liked the music thought we were talented was what's your guys's budget for this it was like we could probably scrape together a couple grand and basically the meeting in short was give me a call when you guys have like $50,000 to work with, you know? So like you were saying, there's a lot of, there's a lot of numbers mentality in this and stuff like that. And a lot of disappointment that goes into it by all these doors that we've been, I mean, I've been doing this for over 10 years now, you know, I've been doing it semi-professionally or professionally where I've known the industry side more for like five now. And all these doors you try to knock down and all these meetings you try to get and you finally get them and basically they're like, yeah, this is what it comes down to. Now, I'm not saying the right people are out there who won't like fully prop you up and stuff, but then there's the moral, there's the moral caveats that come with that and how much of your creative control do you want to lose and all that sort of thing. So there, again, we're talking about balance of the music video. There is definitely balance between uh, giving up creative control for what you get in return. Uh, I do know, like, there, there's a lot of a lot of that with them, especially at the bigger labels. Uh, the more control they have, and obviously the more money they take. Because I've, yeah. I've talked to some, and it's like they take forty percent of everything, like tour and studio and endorsements, everything, forty percent right off. Yep. And uh, it just it it is a little bit of a dirty uh, industry with everything. But obviously, I, I obviously with some of the people I work there, there's definitely uh, some light uh, in the industry. I'm not obviously not everyone is like that, and there's not every label is like that and all that. But uh, unfortunately, there's quite a few out there. Yeah, no, yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's definitely a lot of great people out out there who 
do it for the love of it and stuff like that. And a lot of great people who, who, you know, they're, they're willing to help you succeed and help, help you financially and stuff, but they're just a lot harder to find because there's a lot more, you know, like some of the labels, like I said, I won't say names, but I've, I've spoken with, um, I just talked to one the other day, actually. It, these aren't, these aren't, when I say like the, like, like uh, indie labels aren't the same way. These are more like major labels and yeah. stuff like that. And they basically look at you as like an investment and they want to see, like, it's not just about the music when you speak with these people, they want to see what your merch numbers are. I mean, sometimes they don't even care as much about like your Spotify numbers as they care about your live show numbers or your merch numbers. And they want to know how much money is being spent each month for how much money's coming in. And it's like, well, wait, this is why I'm trying to get a label because I don't freaking know this stuff, you know? Then you find out, oh, I got to know this stuff just to get a deal, you know? It's definitely, I mean, they, they, Treat it uh, very much like a like a corporate business. Business, everything's by the numbers. Everything is uh, just numbers for them, and the art uh, gets a little bit lost in it. That's why, like, I, I've heard quite a few like major label bands or formerly major label bands that were very unhappy uh, with their record labels and they're still owed money or didn't get the royalties or stuff like that. I know that some some cases are still even going on. Yep. Yeah. De definitely. And there's um. Yeah, there's that there's that whole there's that whole factor to it. And but one good thing is too nowadays with everything we have is we're moving further and further away to where you don't need a label. You can really do this on your own. Like you can self promote, you can use TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you can meet great people like you and do the indie interviews with it, stuff like that. We live in like a, a really good world for it now, you know um to be able to do that comes down to it where you almost need them still is um is fi the finance thing you yeah. know and depending how much you want to work and do this you the financial aspect of it's kind of the big thing and I, i'm sure you listen to just as many podcasts as i do of other musicians what you find out a lot is labels aren't like this like hey you give us your album and we make you a star no you're still out there doing all the footwork you're still out there getting your own interviews they might kind of you know open some doors for you with press and stuff but at the end of the day it's still up to you to do the photo shoot or the interview and um <clears throat> really they're like a they're like a bank it's like an interest loan they're just a bank that's more willing to finance a musician than a regular one like a band like uh, Gaslight Anthem, for example, they uh, always joke around about um, putting on their album uh, Chase Records because when they did like their fourth album, they got tired of working with the labels. I think they're on Hopeless for a while um, or maybe Victory or Vagrant, but they got tired of working with the labels for whatever reason. And I'm not talking bad about, about those labels, but they already said what they said. So that's between them. But so they went to Chase Bank and they had enough of a track record of selling merch and selling albums and stuff that they funded the album and the promotion and the marketing and everything else by taking a loan from Chase Banks instead of a record label, you know. So they always joke around about calling them calling their record label Chase Records. That's kind of funny. I mean, it would be interesting if banks got into uh, uh, like record label, like you know, just bankrolling bands. 
Mm-hmm. I think it'd be I, that might be something. <laughs> right. It's just a business, uh, pretty much a business transaction. That's all it is. Right. Yeah. You know it. Um, it it is, and you can definitely do it, but you need a lot of data and bookkeeping to show. Oh, it, yeah. You know. And a and a big line of credit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. I have a. Let me wrap up this interview again. Jake Jones of Red Brick Road making a certain appearance, stopping by on uh, Super Cool Radio. I'm going to leave a link for his music video, I Am The Fear, in the description. But if anyone is interested, where uh, where can they find Red Brick Road on the internet? Uh, Redbrickroadrocks.com would be the would be the best spot. It's got pretty much all of it on there. Uh, YouTube at this point, just search Red Brick Road. I used to give the URL, but we're, we're pretty much all that pops up now. If you search us on YouTube, so just search it. Facebook, uh, Red Brick Road MI, and Instagram's at uh, Red Brick Road Music. I'm gonna leave some links for that in the description. Make sure to check it out. And uh, so as I wrap up this interview, what is the plans for the rest of this year? Because obviously we're in November. And uh, what's kind of the outlook for 2022? Um, I'm, there's gonna, we're going to be working on uh, more music. I have some studio time. I think it's this weekend, actually. I got to look at it is. Um, going to be working on some new stuff. There won't be anything released for the rest of this year. And I think as far as people will see publicly for the rest of this year we'll be working behind the scenes on next year's stuff but i don't think you'll see anything else from us this year except i am the fear i am the fear will probably will be promoted through the end of the year and then early next year you'll it'll there'll definitely be an ep or something there'll be a there'll be a new single in the beginning of the year and then next year around the spring when work of heart came out an ep or so some format of a nice uh, another nice chunk of stuff like i said i don't think it's going to be an album i've been doing like a lot of research on on marketing and how we should really be going about this and albums aren't really doing what they used to we love making them but that doesn't mean you know we need to do it so yeah then uh next year will be full steam ahead again but right now I mean, really, the way I'm looking at it, there's only there's not much time left in the year because if you take away Thanksgiving and Christmas week, I mean, well, there's only a month left now, so <laughs> not too much more this year, my man. <laughs> no, no, definitely, I I I understand. It's really, you know, as you said, just about a month, but I definitely uh, look forward to seeing what you got in store for the for next year. Uh, look forward to listening to some more new music, but definitely stream support. Give a like to Red Brick Road. Check out I Am the Fear. Plus, you get to hear a really nice cameo by this guy right here. It's pretty sweet. I can say so myself. <laughs> Jay, thank you so much for stopping by on Super Cool Radio. I'm your host, as always, Matthew Thomas. You've been watching and listening to Super Cool Radio. Stay frosty.